Hello and welcome to the Paranormal or What podcast with me, your host, Michaela Ford. How are you this week? How's life been treating you? Hopefully you've been managing to dodge the horrible COVID. I know so many people who've had it twice in the last few weeks. I hope that you've managed to avoid it. I'm very happy at the moment because I'm on Easter holidays and I'm trying to give my voice a little bit of time to heal as I've had a nasty streptococcal infection. As you can hear, I'm a little bit husky, so we'll see how we go. So, are you ready for today's podcast? We have lots of things from the spooky Winter Hill in Lancashire, right over to across the pond in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. So are you ready? Well then come in, draw up a chair, put your feet up and pour yourself a drink, preferably something hot and fiery. Don't forget, just before we start, if you have any paranormal stories to share, please email them to me at paranormalorwhatpodcast at outlook.com. Alternatively, send me a voice message of your story to anchor.fm forward slash paranormalorwhatpodcast forward slash message. I'd love to hear your paranormal stories. So, are we ready? Let's find out what's been going on at Winter Hill. Winter Hill is a hill on the border of the boroughs of Chorley, Blackburn with Darwin and Bolton in the historic county of Lancashire in northwest England. It is located on Rivington Moor, Chorley and is 1,496 feet high. Part of the West Pennine Moors, it is a popular walking area and has been the site of mining activity, aeroplane disasters and murders. Two memorial cairns on the hill are known as Wilder Lads or Two Lads. Thomas Hampson in 1883 described two lads as the graves of two children of a Saxon king, Edgar, and recorded that Winter Hill was previously known as Edgar Hill. The cairns are thought to mark the site on which two boys lost their way on the moor and died of exposure in a snowstone. Scotsman's Stump. On the 9th of November 1838, George Henderson, a Scottish, Scottish merchant walking over the hill from Horwich to Blackburn, was murdered by gunshot. A monument was erected in 1912 to replace an earlier bush planted at the spot, sited at the side of the road opposite the television station. Scotsman's Stump was celebrated in a poem entitled Scots Scotchman's Stump by Bolton poet John Cassidy. 
It was published in his collection Night Cries, published by Blood Axe in 1982. Aircraft crashes around Winter Hill include a two-seater aircraft in the 1920s. During World War II, an American Fairchild UC-61 forwarder of Fifth Air Depot Group crashed on 7th of August 1942. On 24th of December 1943, an Airspeed Oxford of 410 Squadron crashed on the hill. Other crashes have included several Spitfires, Hurricanes and a Gloucester Meteor which crashed in 1953. On the 27th of February 1958 occurred the Winter Hill Air Disaster. A Silver City Bristol 170 freighter travelling from the Isle of Man to Manchester crashed into Winter Hill several hundred yards away from the transmitter. There is a memorial plaque to the accident at the site. In September 1965, an RAF de Havilland chipmunk flew into the hill in cloud without serious injury to the crew. The last crash occurred in October 1968 when a Cessna 172 force landed between Winter Hill and Rivington Pike. UFOs have been reported on Winter Hill. In 1950, a witness described a dark, flat, iron-shaped object hovering close to the ground and an encounter with a being that returned to a craft before disappearing. In 1999, in what became known as the Murphy Incident, a farmer said he saw an object hovering over his cattle field. On investigation, the object moved away and the farmer reported the incident to the police. The farmer returned to the field and discovered the object had reappeared. He reported the incident to the Manchester Aerial Phenomena Investigation Team, who investigated it. While Mappet was conducting its investigation, they alleged they were being followed by a man in a vehicle. The farmer reported that he was warned by officials from the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food, but has not been traced since the incident, and the current owner has not spoken about it. The UK government released previously classified information on UFO sightings in May 2006. One picture appeared to show an unidentified object over Winter Hill. The following report was in the Lancashire Telegraph in October 2021. It was titled, A man who believes he's encountered UFOs since 1971 has spoken of a recent sighting in East Lancashire. David Dolby from Bolton was walking his dogs last Friday evening when a light not of our science presented itself above Darwin Tower. The 59-year-old managed to photograph the object, as he has with several prior and why he, while he says the occurrences can play on his mind, he feels that he has been selected by something somewhere and accepts the privilege. This, he believes, is the only logical explanation for such encounters. He said, I don't know what it was, but I know it wasn't from this planet. It wasn't of our science. A bright light appeared and quick as a flash it was gone. I'm experienced enough to know a UFO when I see one, and that above Darwin Tower was exactly that. There are millions of people out there just like me. This isn't about glory. 
I want to get the word out there that uh, there are these beings or objects that exist right above us. Hopefully I can educate people, and we may well find that others have seen these UFOs too. Mr Dolby says that his UFO sightings started at the age of nine, but he only realised this in 2008 after a near 40-year mental block and has since become fascinated by the phenomena, with research taking up almost all his free time. He explained, I had my very first close encounter with a UFO many years ago. It was way back in 1971, when as a nine-year-old schoolboy making my way home from school, I was confronted by a shiny, disc-shaped metallic craft glinting against the sunlit sky. I stood for a minute on the grass verge in Astley Bridge, almost totally frozen in awe, and then the craft disappeared in an instant, almost as quickly as it had first arrived. It would be another 37 years before Mr Dolby would experience his next sighting, taking the ladders off his van at the end of a working day in the winter of 2008. He recalls, The still air was cold yet dry as darkness descended rapidly on that November evening. For me, it was just another routine end-of-day task to remove the ladders from my work van as I arrived home. My mind was only concerned with the evening meal that awaited me after a long day's work, until, of course, my attention was dramatically distracted by a mysterious craft high above. The trails of the evening airliners were visible across the sky, yet up there amongst them was something else, most definitely not an aircraft. At around the same altitude as an ascending jet, but some distance from it, an orangey-red pulsating light was zigzagging across the sky in the direction of Bolton Town Centre. The object, which appeared to be of a similar size to a plane in the sky, was leaping around furiously for around half a minute until it completely blinked out of sight at lightning speed. Composure is a must, and rationality has to be considered when such remarkable events take place, so a strong cup of tea was rapidly brought forward. As I drank from the cup, within five minutes of its dramatic exit, the craft spontaneously reappeared, much to my astonishment, this time further to the right of the sky, and once again ranging across the horizon in a zigzag formation, until it darted off to the left out of sight at what I can only describe as an incredible speed. No explanation would ever even be considered regarding this sighting. It was an amazing experience, a wonder in many ways that I will certainly never forget. Mr Dolby says that he has on occasion had fellow witnesses to such sightings, which include being pursued by a UFO on a seven-mile drive and a ten-minute encounter at Markland Hill a few years ago. Winter Hill also boasts tales of a spectral horseman who hangs around the two lads' cairns. And even in the recent years, nay, in August 2012, there were seen around the north of the hill transparent, shimmering, two-foot beings in a wood near Tockles. They wore blue old-fashioned waistcoats and shimmered in and out of being. 
If you want to hear more about that, please go to the BBR Facebook page, Being Believed Research Organisation, where Mick McLaren interviews the man who saw the three-foot fairies. Hopkinsville, Kentucky, may be famous in the paranormal world for the famed Hopkinsville goblins, but did you know that they were also visited by a rather terrifying phenomenon in the 1970s? This is a report from the Washington Post by John Kelly. On a frigid January morning in 1977, Grady Stevens lifted his helicopter into the Tennessee sky and pointed it towards the unknown. Stevens was a decorated army pilot. He'd, heard, he'd earned the Distinguished Flying Cross for rescuing a patrol pinned down by the enemy in Vietnam, but this mission promised to be unlike any he'd ever flown. It was, he later told a reporter, an unsettling experience. Like every pilot, Stevens had been trained in flight school to avoid birds. Sucked into engines, colliding with propellers, bouncing off canopies, birds are dangerous to aircraft and the people who fly them. But that morning's mission was to fly towards birds, not away from them. Stevens' job was to spray chemicals on a 20-acre starling roost near an army ammunition depot in Milan, Tennessee. His low flight at 25 miles per hour over the roost as he sprayed caused disturbed birds to fly up into the darkness, a reporter at the Leaf Chronicle of Clarksville, Tennessee, later wrote. An undetermined number hit his craft, many being chopped by the propeller blades. Stevens lived to fly again. Hundreds of thousands of birds did not. Farmers had been complaining for years about the massive flocks of starlings, grackles and blackbirds. There were an estimated 8 million near Milan and 11 million in a pine grove near Hopkinsville, Kentucky. The birds ate crops and livestock feed. In 1974, Kentucky Governor Wendell Ford declared a state of emergency at Christian County, where starlings had caused crop and livestock losses of $2.6 million. Health officials had detected a rise in histoplasmosis, a respiratory disease caused by spores in bird droppings. Fort Campbell on the Kentucky-Tennessee border is the home of the 101st Airborne Division, a.k.a. the Screaming Eagles but the starlings meant less screaming. When the skies were black with birds, airplanes and helicopters that would have had liftoff of full paratroopers had to curtail their flights. George L. Atkins Jr., the mayor of Hopkinsville, soon to acquire the nickname Birdman, pleaded for help. A chemical called Turgitol might be the solution. Turgitol kills starlings in a roundabout way. It strips the birds of an oily secretion that coats their feathers and keeps them warm. If the birds get wet after an application, from rain or water sprayed on them, they freeze to death. Some in the community were unconvinced, worrying about the effects of a chemical on the environment. In 
Scientists pointed out that nature is complex. The birds probably helped reduce the destructive insect population. As plans to spray moved forward, two New York-based environmental groups, the Society for Animal Rights and Citizens for Animals, were granted an injunction blocking the spraying. The indiscriminate killing of birds, they argued, was cruel. Mayor Atkins was incensed. If we could ship 14 million starlings to the Pentagon or Central Park, we'd get results, he said before boarding a plane to Washington to request that the injunction be lifted. Atkins also asked city attorneys to draft their own injunction request against New York City to keep it from killing its rats. It's about as inhumane, he said, the absurdity of it. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court, which refused to block the spraying. The army launched its helicopters. The flocks were sprayed for several winters in a row. None of the flocks were eliminated entirely, but the numbers were reduced. Starlings stopped showing up in headlines. And so the starlings were reduced. And everything went back to normal. Or did it? Well, unfortunately, the birds came back again. And this is a report from February 28th, 2013. It's from the Audubon.org. Blackbirds swarm Kentucky Town. A large blackbird flock pictured in the Starve Rock State Park in Illinois. One Kentucky town has been doused with white stuff this winter, but it's not snow. Millions of blackbirds have descended on Hopkinsville, overwhelming residents with noise and bird excrement since they arrived in November. I've got an apple tree that has almost turned white, Steve Tribble, a town resident and executive judge of Christian County, told Reuters. Hopkinsville is located an hour north of Nashville and has a population of about 35,000. Any vehicle parked outside is covered up. While the mess and racket are a nuisance, some residents are worried about their health too. The bird's faecal matter can carry histoplasma capsulatum, a fungus that can cause lung disease and pneumonia-like symptoms. Histoplasmosis is particularly dangerous for people with weakened immune systems and can be fatal for dogs. The drop-ins can also contaminate soil for years. Federal law protects most blackbirds, so it's illegal to shoot or kill them without a federal permit. As an alternate, safer eradication method, the town hired McGee Pest Control, which aims to scare off the unwanted guests by directing air cannons and bird bangers, similar to bottle rockets at trees packed with thousands of birds. These efforts, however, are proving unsuccessful. Instead of fleeing the town... The scare cat tactic is merely causing the birds to relocate to new trees, depositing a trail of poop while on the wing. Many news sources have portrayed this tremendous flock as a mysterious or even sinister invasion. But Jeff LeBaron, Audubon's Christmas Bird Count Director, notices that this is actually normal bird behaviour. The blackbirds migrate en masse, and if several birds choose a location for wintering ground, then the entire flock, thousands to millions of birds, 
will settle down there for the season too. So why did they choose Hopkinsville? Winter temperatures were warmer in that year, so the birds didn't have to migrate as far south as they typically do. As the snow line moves further northward, says LeBaron, the blackbirds are only going to go as far south as they have to. It could be that the flock has been wintering near Hopkinsville or other Kentucky towns in recent seasons, and they happen to choose an area where people live this year, adds LeBaron. The birds want to roost in an area where they are protected from environmental conditions and predators, so they will move into neighbourhoods if it's dark and quiet. But it's not like they're selecting wooded subdivisions. Apparently, Hopkinsville is not the only American town to have been invaded by millions of birds. The Daily Star reports that in February 2020, thousands of birds descended on a Texas shopping centre in scary end times footage and people were even trapped in their cars in the car park. An army of great-tailed grackles took over a supermarket car park in Houston, Texas, US, in scenes that looked straight out of Alfred Hitchcock movie The Birds. An incredible video has shown how thousands of birds descended on a car park like a scene out of Alfred Hitchcock's horror. The inky black birds were seen covering the tarmac, cars, shopping trolleys and flitting through the skies in Houston, Texas, US, in a way witnesses described as terrifying. In the video shared on Twitter on Saturday, a scared-looking woman can be seen running to the entrance of the supermarket while frantically waving her arms as if petrified that one of the animals will brush against her. The army of birds, believed to be great-tailed grackles, can be heard calling to one another in high-pitched whistles and tweets as they rest on the ground. According to local news sites, the spectacle happens every year when the birds migrate, but some people insisted it was a bad omen. The End Times tweeted one viewer solemnly. A second person said, "'Isn't it some kind of omen?' Deal of the century followed by devil birds? However, other people poured cold water on the idea of the birds being a herald of doom. Flippantly, one person asked, Is devil bird a new species? Never heard of it. Why are they called devil birds? asked another. In Hitchcock's 1963 film The Birds, humans are attacked and killed by swarms of birds that start randomly attacking a town. Great-tailed grackles are native to North and South America and can reach a flock size of up to half a million members, according to allaboutbirds.org. This comes after people were horrified when hundreds of birds dropped dead on a quiet road in Wales. Birds were also seen falling out of the sky in Coventry, UK, sparking conspiracy theories. What do you think? Why are these places attracting millions and millions of black birds? Seems a bit sinister to me. And so, 
Any story about Hopkinsville, Kentucky would not be complete without the story of the Hopkinsville Goblins. The night when UFOs and aliens came to a small town in Kentucky. This is how the story was reported on History.com. How the Little Green Men phenomenon began on a Kentucky farm. Why are aliens so often depicted as little green men with bulbous heads and oversized eyes? The mythology began in part on the night of August 21st, 1955, when a large extended farm family called the Suttons arrived breathlessly at the Hopkinsville police station in southwestern Kentucky. Their story of a terrifying siege by otherworldly beings would become one of the most detailed and baffling accounts of an alien in close encounter on record. Notable for the large number of witnesses, nearly a dozen, the duration of the encounter, several hours, and the close proximity between the witnesses and creatures, sometimes just a few feet away. The incident quickly became regional and even national news. The alleged encounter occurred on the Sutton's farm in the tiny rural hamlet of Kelly, Kentucky, where the family lived in an unpainted three-room house without running water, telephone, radio, TV or books. All of the details of their story, the UFO landing and the appearance of small alien creatures, one fact is indisputable. When the eight adults and three children arrived at the nearby Hopkinsville police station at about 11pm, they were genuinely terror-struck. These aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help, Police Chief Russell Greenwell later told investigators. What they do is reach for their guns. Yet, here they were, women and children hysterical, and one man with a pulse of 140 beats per minute measured by an investigator. According to accounts given to the police at about 7pm on the hot Sunday evening, Sutton family friend Billy Ray Taylor was fetching water from the backyard well when he saw a silvery object, real bright with an exhaust all the colours of the rainbow. As he later recounted, it came silently toward the house, passed over it, stopped in the air and then dropped straight to the ground. Taylor, 21, and his 18-year-old wife had come from Pennsylvania to visit Lucky Sutton, with whom he had worked on a travelling carnival. The Sutton's 50-year-old widow and matriarch, Glennie Lankford, her two older sons and their wives, a brother-in-law and the widow's three younger children, 12, 10 and 7, didn't take Billy Ray seriously, laughing off his UFO account. An hour later, alerted by the dog's incessant barking, Lucky and Billy Ray went to the back door and made out a strange glow, in the midst of which they spied a small humanoid creature. About three and a half feet tall, it had an oversized head, almost perfectly round, its arms extended almost to the ground. Its hands had talons, and its oversized eyes glowed with a yellowish light. The body gave off an eerie shimmer in the light of the night's new moon, they said, as if made of silver metal.
Terrified, the two men grabbed a 20-gauge shotgun and a .22 rifle and fired at the little man, its hands now raised as if held up at gunpoint as it came toward the back door. They reported that it then did a flip, scrambled upright and fled into the darkness. Shortly after, the men saw a similar creature appear in a side window and fired through the window screen. Still impervious to bullets, the little man again flipped, then disappeared. I went out in the hallway and crouched down next to Billy when I saw one approaching the door, Mrs Lankford told Isabel Davis, author of an extensive report called Close Encounter at Kelly and others of 1955. It looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was a shimmering, bright metal like on my refrigerator. The drama escalated when Taylor stepped outside under the small overhanging roof and those behind him saw a claw-like hand reach down and touch his hair. The group screamed and pulled Taylor back while Lucky shot above the overhang and then at another similar creature in a nearby tree. It floated to the ground and then scurried into the woods. The Suttons moved inside and spent several hours listening for movements, hearing mostly occasional scratches on the roof. At 11pm, the whole group ran for the cars and hightailed it to the Hopkinsville police station at top speed. After the local police chief called for backup, his team was joined at the Sutton Farm by state police, military police from nearby Fort Campbell and a photographer from the Kentucky New Era. There, investigators found shell casings from the gunshots, but no other evidence. Neither could they find proof of heavy drinking. According to the Sutton matriarch, liquor was not allowed in the farmhouse. Since the police and others left, though, the creatures returned between 2.30am and daybreak. Mrs Lankford said she saw one glowing repeatedly by her bedside window, its claw-like hand on the screen. In the following days, after radio stations and newspapers, including the New York Times, reported the incident, Hundreds of curiosity seekers descended on the farm, often ridiculing the Suttons as ignorant or fraudulent. When no trespassing signs proved useless at discouraging them, the family tried charging admission. Fifty cents for entering the grounds, one dollar for information, ten dollars for taking pictures. After that, sceptics blasted them as fortune-seeking fabulists. As the Kelly story spread into the world, it took on a life of its own. The number of little men grew to a dozen or more. A few years later, the little metallic men were conflated with an eastern Kentucky woman's report of a flying saucer and a six-foot-tall man in green helping launch the myth of little green men. The day after the incident, police investigators returned to the farmhouse, searching for evidence of a saucer landing, footprints, blood trails or scratch marks on the roof. They found nothing. Bud Wedlith, a local radio station employee, interviewed the adult eyewitnesses and made drawings based on their accounts. According to Davis, he was impressed by their remarkable specificity and consistency, even though the men were away from the farmhouse all day, unable to coordinate with the others. While the incident eventually attracted the attention of the Air Force UFO Investigation Programme, 
Project Blue Book, documents suggest that its team never officially pursued the matter, beyond checking in with their Fort Campbell counterparts who had been briefly at the scene the night before. One of the most thorough investigations of the Kelly incident was undertaken in 1956 by ufologist Isabel Davis and published several decades later by the Centre for UFO Studies, a group founded by astronomer Dr J. Allen Hynek, Project Blue Book's civilian investigator. Her nearly 200-page report, co-written with Ted Blurcher, includes detailed maps, drawings, documentary records, summaries of similar accounts around the world and interviews with several Sutton family members and police investigators. Davis summarised the latter's concern about the lack of physical evidence, but to her reckoning, none of the possible explanations, a deliberate hoax, a publicity play, group hallucinations, made sense. While questions arose about whether the young men were exaggerating, Davis's strong impression after meeting Mrs Lankford was one of a sombre, no-nonsense matriarch who abhorred the limelight and had no reason to lie. None of the witnesses, Davis noted, had any history of making preposterous allegations. In 2006, Joe Nickell, Senior Research Fellow of the International Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and a self-styled paranormal investigator, reviewed the accumulated evidence in an article entitled Siege of the Little Green Men, the 1955 Kelly, Kentucky Incident. In it, he raised suspicion about what he called Billy Taylor's embroidered testimony. He matched Taylor's UFO sighting with similar reports from that day, which suggested a small meteor in the vicinity. Yes, but we all know that Mr. Nickell will do anything in his power to pour cold water on anybody's reports, no matter how convincing. So I would take that with a pinch of salt. One programme that I've watched about the Hopkinsville um, Kelly um, incident of the goblins is a documentary on Amazon called Hellia. And there's also um, another series called Hellia too. It is very well worth watching with Greg and Dana Newkirk. And they uncover some very, very interesting information about the sightings. Well, I'm afraid that's going to be all for tonight, folks. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast this evening. I'm sorry that it has been a little bit short, but as you can hear, my voice is very unhappy with me. I've been suffering from strep throat this past couple of weeks, and this is the first time that I've done lots and lots of talking. So I think I would be wise to stop now and I will catch up with you again in a week or so's time. So it just remains for me to say, don't forget to um, subscribe to the podcast. Please don't forget to give us some really, really good ratings and reviews. 
so that we can help to grow the podcast, please give it five stars. The five star ratings really are going to help us to to um, be seen and heard by lots more people. So I look forward to snuggling down with you next time with some spooky stories, a comfy chair and a tot of something fiery. And hopefully we'll be able to have that long-awaited interview with Debs. So, you take care until next time. And remember, together we can figure it out. Night. Thank you.